This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by... Bong! Raspberries! Now on offer in your grocer's aisle at Grace Brothers! Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Jeff. How are you? I am doing okay, Mr. Brandon. How about yourself? <sighs> um, you know, the world's kind of a crazy place. Lots been happening lately. But we have Are You Being Served to, to put us back in that lovely malaise we like to live in. Don't, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it, Mr. Jeff? <laughs> malaise. Malaise. Yeah, slightly, slightly stumped over. Just our eyes kind of slightly swirling in their sockets. As we watch yet another episode. That's the life I want. <laughs> people like their heroin. People like their gym beam. Give me Ari being served any day. <laughs> Use in moderation. Yes, exactly. Oh, boy. So last week we had a really fun episode with Mr. Joffrey. Um, super fan. Indeed we did, yes. Thank you, Mr. Joffrey. Lots of uh, folks enjoyed his commentary. And sass, if I may. <laughs> so here we are, another week, another, another episode. Yep, that's right. And as you mentioned, a lot's been going on in the world right now. Um, we're recording this on August 31st, and uh, most of Louisiana just got battered by Hurricane Ida. And so if you're looking for ways to help out our friends in New Orleans, um, we'd, like to, we'd like you to check out Imagine Waterworks. Uh, they are a Creole, queer, and trans-run organization in New Orleans, that focuses on disaster preparedness and disaster relief. So check out their website and um, maybe throw them a couple bucks and help our friends um, in the Big Easy. Yeah, I think we've, um, we've, we've thrown some publicity their way before over another episode, a couple of maybe last year sometime. But yeah, they're or a really maybe cool we organization. Did. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but we've been hearing and interacting with you, the unanimous, haven't we? Oh, we certainly have. We've gotten... <laughs> A whole bunch of new fans on Facebook, Brian, Pamela, Laurel, Steve G, Helena, and Steve B. We got some lovely pics from Neil of the Molly Sugden hairdressing salon that used to be on Brick Lane in Shoreditch in London. Yeah, that was fabulous. Thank you for that, Neil. With some nice um, Warhol-inspired pop art. Yeah, sadly, it uh, closed down. But, yep. you know, all good things must come to an end. And our, and our buddy Henrike from the Netherlands we've, we've been interacting with. Yeah, Hello. we heard some great, uh, great news from overseas over there. Uh, Dunkuved. Uh, <laughs> what he we said. Got, we got some great tweets from Lapsed Cat, who told us a little bit about the origin of the name of the, the um, band Spando Ballet. That, cat, that Lapsed Cat is not so lapsed in the brains. Gotta say that. Cat. Yeah. That rhymed. Uh, and I think a lot of people also commented on our Facebook page as well about that. Oh. It, it, it's related to Nazi Germany. Oh, like, yes. Yeah. There was a guy and he was he fled and then they imprisoned him at Spandu Prison or something. And then some gruesome stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Um, as we say every episode, please get the vax if you can. 
wear a mask, wash your hands. And because it needs to be said still again and again and again, Black Lives Matter. And of course, unanimous as always. You've, You've all, all done, done very, very well. well. So, Mr. Uh, Jeffrey, um, well, not Mr. Jeffrey, because that was our f- previous guest host. You're Mr. Jeff. Uh-huh. Mr. Jeff, um, should we let the unanimous know about a new addition we, we have to That Does Suit Madam Industries Limited LLC? We did. <laughs> we should. We should indeed, Mr. Brandon. We yeah. should. We are hashtag sellouts. And we yes, have, we are. <laughs> and we are now selling merch of That Does Suit Madam fame. They've on, just come in. <laughs> on our uh, bargain basement shop at imfree.threadless.com. Yeah, we've had a lot of folks say, you guys need to get a tote bag or a t-shirt. And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> so we had this, I mean, luckily, you know, we had to create... At great expense, a warehouse here at That Does Do Matter Compound Headquarters in northern Mississippi. Um, but, you know, we're working with other vendors, so we don't have to use our, 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 our recording space only. So that's good. No, we, we, we repurpose an old grain silo, and that's where all the merch is being stored. Well, farmer, farmer Derek down the street, he had one for sale, and we said, you know, this would be a really good warehouse. So anyway, we did a thing. We have iPhone, smartphone, smart covers, things for your phones. We have pillows for your delicious sofas. What else do we have? Uh, we've got T-shirts and coffee mugs and face masks. Oh, my. So yeah. check us out at imfree.threadless.com. We know we wanted to give you a URL that you would remember, so I'm free. .threadless.com. So there we go. We are hashtag sellout. And I, when I posted it on the Facebook that we have a shop called The Bargain Basement, um, I put hashtag sellout and I forgot who it was. But they, like, loved it. I put sellout and they LOL'd it. So <laughs> thank you for that. So go buy some stuff if you'd like. And if there's anything else you want on the shop, we can add more products. So just leave us a, a note if you want something else, okay? So, Mr. Jeffrey, other than selling merchandise on the internet um, through a podcast, what else are we here to listen to? Well, tonight we're going to be talking about Series 9, Episode 5, Monkey Business. And this originally premiered on May 20th, 1983. And that week in the news, Mm -hmm. at the top of the Billboard 100 chart, was Let's Dance by David Bowie, finally overtaking that song that shall not be named. Right, That, That guy. Let's dance. And then still at the top of the UK singles chart is True by Spandau Ballet. Good song. Yeah. Have you had had a chance to sing it in karaoke recently? No, maybe this weekend. We'll see. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, Otherwise in the news, uh, Israel and Lebanon signed a peace treaty. Okay, that's good. Uh, that was short-lived, but uh, it was there for a while. Yeah. Um, the Church Street bombing took place, and this was a pretty um, no- notorious uh, car bombing in Pretoria, South Africa, that mm-hmm. killed 19 people. Um, wow. And the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the government can indeed deny tax breaks to schools that racially discriminate against students. Okay, so a good week for music and peace, not... For car bombings. Well, peace in the Middle East and not, not so much in uh, apartheid South Africa. Africa. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, um, I'm listening, reading um, Trevor Noah's book, Born a mm. Crime. Yeah. And he um, does an amazing job of describing what um, apartheid South Africa was yeah. all about. And it's amazing stuff. So if you'd like to read, try his book. So we know what was happening that week. We know the episode we're doing. And I got to say at the beginning... Um, 
monkey business I thought was going to be all monkey all the time. I agree, too. <laughs> there was more business than monkey, which I think was good for the episode. We'll, yeah, we'll, I, I we'll wonder, talk about why. Do you think they did a George Lucas where they went and, like, digitally removed the monkey? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I remember more of the monkey as a kid. but I I'm remember glad. more of the monkey, too, but that just might be the Mandela, Mandela effect. Maybe we're just remembering Mr. Rumbold. <laughs> that could very well that be could the be case, it. right? Oh, God. So what's going on in the episode? So we start off the episode and Mr. Harmon is placing some hats on the center display stand. It's been a while since we've had the center display stand be the focus, uh, especially in the start of the episode. Mr. Granger's rolling in his grave right now. And we learn that it's 9.25 a.m. and only Peacock and Spooner and the rest of the staff are nowhere to be found. Oh, my God. Um, And it's unusual for the junior to get there early. I think this is one of those... Things where, you know, Spooner isn't being very faithful to the Lucas um, character uh, um, type. Well, he is because he stayed the night in an all-night cinema, which is, That's you know, true. one of those types of cinemas, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, um, is it a blue cinema? Well, I is mean, it? I imagine all-night cinema. Oh, right? yeah, I guess so. I don't know. They're kind of before my time, but yeah. I don't know. Well, it turns out there was a blizzard last night in 1983 London. Mr. Humphreys, Mrs. Slocum, and Miss Brahms all decided to stay at Mrs. Slocum's last night because she lives the, clo- the closest. Okay. And Mr. Spooner is confident that they'll all be there today because they're supposed to get their rise in salary today. Hooray. Right. Love those. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Captain Peacock is counting down the minutes. When it strikes 930, he's going to make the official complaint to Mr. Rumbold. And on cue, the lift bell rings, Ding. the doors open, and the three of them come out of the lift with their snow gear on, crampons, they're tied together, and it's actually snowing in the lift. <laughs> I love it. It's so stupid, but why not? Let's just make it snow in there. Right. It's uh, like absolutely so stupid, right? It's like when the fog comes in through the lift. like Through all the, way the lift, up. and then, it, right. yeah, exactly. Um, apparently they had six Yorkshire Terriers they were supposed to be bringing them in, but they lost their transport on the way. I love that Yorkshire Terriers up the were... Right, because they're tiny as dogs. <laughs> like, they're not going to do anything. But they're cute, so that's it was good for a joke. Yeah. Aww. So, obviously, Mr. Humphreys is making a reference to mushing, which, uh, before it became a sport in the Winter Olympics, was actually... Um, a way that the Native Americans in what is now America and Canada mm. uh, used to transport things. Um, it was taught to the French in the 1500s and then was spread to Europe and it took off uh, all throughout um, Northern Europe. And so um, the term mush comes from the French, wor- French word mouche, meaning mouche, like go, go. walk, yeah. yeah. Mache, mache. And we learned that the dogs ran away because they spotted Mrs. Slocum's pussy and then took off like madmen. <laughs> that might have happened more than that one occurrence. Who knows? Might have been. Right? <laughs> okay. That's fabulous. The, the gag ends with them uh, going back into uh, the, the fitting room to change into work clothes. And we never hear of the snow again. So the blizzard was just a throwaway joke for the setup. Uh, just for the uh, sight gag of the the costumes, right? Yeah, I was kind of expecting to come back in the episode, but no. But, oh well. So we cut over to Mr. Rumble's office where he's dictating a letter to Miss Belfridge, and we learn that management is not going to give them the 10% rise. So we know that this is going to be the setup for the conflict of the the show, of the episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Miss Belfridge is wearing a very, she's very scantily clad. She is not wearing a blizzard-worthy 
dress. And so Mr. Rumble turns on the space heater, and then Miss Belfort has a Marilyn moment where her skirt blows up and you can see her knickers. This is such a thing. Like, there's also the episode where they do the club and Mrs. Yep. Miss, Be- Miss Brahms's skirt gets tossed up. And, you know, like, <laughs> it's funny because, um, sadly, Candy Davis passed away last month and we talked mm-hmm. about that last week. Um, but, you know, it's it really takes you back about the page three girls from the Daily Mail and and it just seems so flagrant. Of course... If you watch TV, I'm sure if you transport someone from 1983 to 2021, they would think, oh, my God, there's so much sex. But I don't know. It just seems more exploitative in this show, right? I mean, we've talked I, ad nauseum about this. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't think that the last time that we saw this side gag, we went into detail about it. Like, obviously, this is a reference to uh, the seven-year itch with Mar- Marilyn Monroe, right? When yeah. she and her date are leaving uh, a movie theater – and they hear the subway train rumbling, rumbling underneath them. And she goes, oh, do you feel the breeze from the subway? She walks across the subway gate grate and her skirt blows up. You can't see Marilyn Monroe's underwear. But here, yeah. they make a very clear point to raise the skirt high enough that you see Mrs. Belfridge's um, knickers several times. Her all, and her all together. Yeah. Uh, several times. It's not just one flash. There's probably about two or three where you can make out the entire outline of what she's wearing. Definitely a page three moment here. I don't remember if it was David Croft or Jeremy Lloyd, but he had a habit of hiring page three girls from the Daily Mail newspaper. And the of Sun, course, yeah. we've mentioned the Sun, yeah. We've mentioned page three basically was a way to get people like men and lesbians um, to buy the newspaper. They would have like kind of soft core porn on page three of the newspaper, like a full page ad basically from the newspaper of like a very, very scantily sexually charged, scantily dressed, sexually charged woman. And Candy Davis was one of these women. And David Croft, Jeremy Lloyd, whoever it was said, I'll have that one hired next time. And that was Candy Davis who would later leave that, you know, pinup girl, Mystique uh, to mm-hmm. become a very successful, very uh, serious writer. Serious writer, yeah. But anyway, so it kind of this is definitely like, oh, that's right. It's page three kind of stuff. When you say page three girl in the UK, that means oh, it's almost like you're a stripper kind of thing, right? Um, almost like a uh, maybe like a centerfold. Centerfold. No. That's a very no. You're yeah. so right. That's much better. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole like. I mean, her, the, even the dress, and later in the episode when she comes out saying, like, the monkey, like, it's extremely, I don't know, like, all eyes go to her decolletage, um, because it's done in a way where, I don't know, you have to, I'll leave it to your to your imagination. Right, go watch the episode and you'll see what we're talking about. Yeah, but it's just like, it it's just feels one of those super dated kind of things. But then, I don't know, I'm trying to think. Sophia Varga on um, Modern Family, like, she would wear, wear very revealing clothes, but she doesn't come across as an airhead, I guess. Is, right, she doesn't. Like, she wears low-cut and sexy dresses on Modern Family, but you're right, you know, she's not the, um, she's not the, you know, the, the airhead, you know, where Marilyn was always the smart dumb blonde. Mm, yeah. Um, Sophia Vergara's character is always super powerful. The smart, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But Miss Belfridge, not not so. But. Until we learn that she has an O level in literature. Who yeah, knows? I know. Hey. Right? Yeah. 
to drive home the point that um, the company is suffering monetarily, uh, we get a coffee bit gag where uh, Mr. Rumbold has to use dried milk and <laughs> there's no actual tea bag. Mr. Harmon has to just give him two dunks uh, because that's got to be reused for uh, accounts and the steno pool. When I was a kid, I did not understand the concept of all of this, right? And I bet I'm not the only one because tea is not popular in America, in the United States. Um, I didn't understand the joke about how he dunked the tea bag in the water twice and how that was just not enough. And everyone thought it was so funny because culturally tea is what you do there. But in the States, it well, just there was, doesn't. There, there was know. also this setup where Mr. Harmon asked one or two. Yeah. And he, uh, Mr. Rumble obviously thought that he meant sugar, lumps of sugar. And I thought he, he meant two tea bags. But either way, like it was just uh, my little isolated, non-worldly yeah. mind just did not understand the joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back on the floor, we're really hammering home the uh, the, mo- the the money issues. Uh, Mr. Humphreys asked to borrow 50p to send out for a coffee, but Mrs. Slocum and Miss Miss um, Brahms are both skint. They don't have anything to show. Yeah, Mrs. Slocum usually keeps a few pound notes tucked away in her knickers for an emergency, but last week the elastic broke and she dropped them in the haymarket. <laughs> well, it's just funny. I love the way she 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 said that. She said, "I keep a few pound notes tucked away in my in my." Knickers, I guess she said. She Interesting. Said knickers, yeah. Do you know the year when the pound note went to a coin? Um, it was not too long ago. Oh, okay. um, it was, you know, it like was the 80s? after. It wasn't the eighties. I feel like it was. I feel like it was in the two thousands. Oh, so pretty recently, because yeah. you never because the pound is not a dollar. It's not a um, a currency. It's, a coin. it's not a paper thing. It's a coin, right? It's, it's nice and heavy. When you have it in your pocket in your hands, you can feel the weight of it. It's it it's somehow kind of cool, so I've never I've I'm not heard on television a pound note. I've oh. heard a five pound note. I'm totally wrong. It went 1988. Oh, okay. So I thought it was much later than that. So like five years after this. So it's just yeah. weird to hear someone on TV on British TV to say a pound note. Talking about pound notes, right? Yeah. yeah. But I love the way she 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 teed up the joke. She said, "I usually keep a couple of pound notes in my knickers for an emergency." And I had an emergency last yeah. week. <laughs> and, uh, of course, like, what, what happened? Well, my elastic went on my knickers and it flew right. away. <laughs> like, I was expecting, like, that Tittles got sick or something. Or, or... she was mugged or something. Right. Yeah. But no. Aww. So, Mr. Harmon brings the pay packets onto the floor just in time because Mr. Humphreys really wants to send out to Beppo's for that coffee. But um, there's bad news. He brings the bad news. There's no rise. Everyone's protesting. Toiletries are having a sit-in, which is a great little pun there. <laughs> I didn't even catch that until now. And he reveals that even middle management are being asked to take the cut, which gets up Captain Peacock's standard because he thought that his rise was a done deal. It was ratified at the boardroom look-up level. And not only that, Miss Kamlozi, my favorite person in, in toiletries, was let go. Well, yeah, we find out about that a little bit later, right? Oh, because they, yeah. they start, they start uh, talking about what they're going to do about this. They're going to go complain to Mr. Rumbold. Uh, in fact, uh, Captain Peacock says he's going to say, give us the money, jug ears, or else. Right? Yeah, she's my favorite because she said, you have Turkish and you have lovely carbonics. I just love the way she said that in the yeah. episode, Mrs. Slocum. Up, up Mrs. Slocum, I think, that episode. 
Uh, Mr. Silkham, senior person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. They start talking for, they look for a reason to get fired because that's the only way they're going to get, you know, any kind of money where they can get the severance package, go on welfare, and then start looking for another job. So she pours a jug of water all over Mr. Rumble's head, right? And they start talking about other ways that they can get uh, fired and being rude to a customer is one of them because last month, Mrs. Kumlozi and Cosmetics got fired, right? So we got that great callback to that uh, episode where she was selling her the, the soaps and the Turkish towels. And she calls and Mrs. Slocum a silly bitch. Stuck silly bitch, right? <laughs> yeah, I got to say, I, I'm, I, when I was watching the episode, I thought, wow, so you can quit or get fired and then you get money so then you can get different types of money later. And it's funny, if you know someone who's over 55 and you talk about getting fired or whatever, or if you quit a job, they always say, oh, you'll get unemployment. It's okay. You'll be all right. But of course, it hasn't been like that for 30 years. No. And um, it's just, it shows like if you get fired or quit or whatever in 1983 London, um, conceivably, you would get some sort of money from the government. And, And I know that if you... I think that's there's something like that these days. There's something called the dole, which is good and bad, and but it's interesting how yeah. diff, un, how different it is than over in the states. Yeah. Um, before the staff come in, Mister Rumble gets a phone call from Mister Wooten in the pet department to report a lost Paraguayan monkey. Why it has to be from Paraguay, I don't know. And it's weird that the pet department has monkeys, and they I don't know. And, it's, and it's weird that the pet department has monkeys, and that Mister Wooten reports to Mister Rumble. <laughs> Right. It's a so, show. It's a TV show. So Paraguayan is not even a funny word to say. Like, I understand I that it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I understand that Paraguay is this faraway place that very few people have been to. It's not yeah. a tourist destination. Yeah. And it's got a unique name. But it's not a na- It's not like Rancho Cucamonga, where it's filled with those <laughs> K sounds that are known for being, you know, comedic. Zamboni. Uh, z- yeah, Z's are funny, K's are funny, um, P's are not funny always. Clicks and clacks. I guess yeah. I think you got some clicks on your clack. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of Kath and Kim humor for you yeah. right there. I don't think I could wear a clacky mule, Kim, on account of my clicky hips. <laughs> She's got all of those K's in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Mr. Rumboat gets a second bad phone call that there's a Japanese takeover bit. <gasps> And we've heard this before. There's been takeover bids several times, especially on the, the, the takeover episode, right? Okay, in 30 seconds or less, explain what a takeover bid is, because I, I still am confused about that. It means another company is going to buy them, come in, clean house, fire everyone, and then rebuild the store the way they want to. Oh, so it's just like business development. Right. Yeah. For any company. Okay, yeah. well, that's very easy to understand. So they start... The, the staff try to uh, be rude to, to the customers that come onto the floor, and Miss Brahms goes first. Um, an older gentleman comes in and wishes to purchase a fur coat for his sec, second cousin, right? <laughs> he's clearly trying to say secretary that he's having an affair with. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, around and about 5,000 pounds. Which it's is... It's a, a lot of commission. Like, that is more than what Miss Brahms makes a year, right? By far. Um, what she makes in a year? No, she probably makes about 5,000 pounds a year. Uh, she probably makes about 5,000 pounds a quarter, I would say now. Because when she started out 10 years ago, she was making 9,000 pounds a year. With inflation and everything? 
with inflation and everything, uh, and over ten years, she's probably making probably making fifteen thousand pounds a year now. Okay, all right. Because they usually get a ten percent rise every year, oh. or so. So, well, that's nice. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm just coming over to tell you I'm not going to serve you, right? And so the customer is like, well, obviously not. You're a junior. I need a senior salesperson because I'm going to spend 5,000 pounds. Damn. Mrs. Slocum comes over. I suggest you buy a gun, fly to Canada, climb up a tree, and wait. She gives some very detailed instructions because he's going to have to make his own coat because she's not going to sell it to them. <laughs> when he doesn't understand, she says, well, how should I put it? Get stuffed. So, all right. So if you did buy a gun, fly to Canada, and wait up a tree... What kind of coat do you think he was looking to buy? Um, fox? Rabbit? Well, no, rabbit was always the cheap version, right? Yeah. So I guess, in Canada, I guess it would be fox. It wouldn't be bear. I don't, I mean, luckily, I think the fur industry has kind of gone by the wayside from 1983. But I think yep. historically, like, um, oh, oh, Beverly, what did your husband buy you for your birthday? Oh, Janet. He bought me a fur. Like, that was in the 50s, like, the Was it your of... birthday? Yes, exactly. But now, like, people are like, actually, that industry is horrific, and yeah. no. So it's definitely something, like, I'm just not familiar with what fur what animal species it would be, is. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially so. the waiting up a tree. What would you be, like, obviously the animal wouldn't be going up a tree, but what would you be waiting in the tree for? Who knows? Yeah, Maybe it's best know. we don't know. Uh, so they all decide to be rude to the customers together with an unmistakable insert, insult, the two-finger salute, and they're going to throw in a raspberry for good luck. Uh, <laughs> the lift bell rings, the doors open, they think it's a customer. In unison, they all give the salute and the raspberry. Yeah. But it's the monkey, it's the Paraguayan monkey. Oh and my gosh. It's actually played by a little person that we've met before. Oh, yeah. Um, it's Rusty Goff, who played, who was in the uh, Erotic Dreams of Mrs. Slocum, the one who came in, mind yeah. reading the ad. Yeah, and then saw, saw that she wasn't a little person and yeah. ran away, right? Yeah. Um, He's also the one that is also in a couple of Harry Potter movies or he so. He played a goblin. Yeah, he played a goblin um, in he's, Harry In the UK, movies. he's quite well known. You say, you know, Rusty Goff. Goff? Goff? Um, easy for me to say. And people instantly know who he is. So that's cool. Um, and that's pretty much all of the monkey we get in the first act for an episode called Monkey Business. Thank heaven. So no. a lot of business, not so much monkey. Um, I was worried that we would have to, like, deal with him. Last week I was not happy about it. But got to say, it's not so bad. And Not I'll, so bad, yeah. I'll take it, yeah. yeah. And um, I heard that they have a good sale on raspberries down in the canteen. Why don't we go raspberries? grab some? Raspberries? Raspberries. People don't know what that means. So why don't we head on down to the canteen and we will be right back. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. 
handbag, or an official podcast sofa pillow, perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does It Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. So, Mr. Jeffrey, what did you have at the canteen? Did you bump into the manageress? She's not in a good mood today. She is she ever in a good mood? Like there was that one time when she like just got her her union settlement, but um, no, Mrs. She Mrs. was Mrs. missing Yarber the raise in her pay mood. packet, like everyone else. Like everyone Watch else, out. right? You know, so I I stayed away from the raspberries because I thought they might stain. So I just went with the banana in the ear. <gasps> How dare you! I had a raspberry beret. <laughs> no, I should have said well done. raspberry sorbet. But I'm not that clever. <laughs> well done. Well, uh, so where were we in the episode? We cut back to the floor, and it's close to the end of the day, and there are no customers, and they're all entertaining themselves. Now, usually we get them, when they have to do this, they're reading the newspaper or doing a crossword. Yeah. But Mrs. Slocum is knitting, and Miss Brahms is painting her nails. <laughs> this is a clear indication of how fed up with a Captain Peacock is because he never would have let them get away with this in previous episodes. Yeah. Yeah, he once his is you know, once the lower people they don't get their big they don't get their pay packet increase, I don't care. But now it's affecting him and now he's suddenly he's, feels He's one of the people. He's with yeah. them, right? <laughs> he decides that he's going down to the pub for an unspecified number of gin and tonics and they all decide to go with him. Harmon interrupts them to tell them the Japanese are invading. They're sending over their headman to look over the building to make sure it's going to be profitable. And so they've just they've figured out that this is the end. That that um, they're going to come in by the building and then redo it their way and let go of everybody. Aww. So they realize that they've got nothing left to lose. But in doing so, they because it's 1983. They don't let it go by without giving us some of that old-timey, nostalgic, racist uh, humor Because it wouldn't be an episode of Are You Being Served without right. a little a anti-Asian, uh, anti-Asian racism. Yeah. Right. You know, Mr. Humphrey says, I don't think I can live off of a bowl of rice a day. You know what? I wouldn't put that in the racist category. However, he follows it up with, my eyes are small enough as it is. Ouch. Yeah, I was listening to it and I just rolled my eyes. I thought, Mr. Humphreys, come on. Right. Um, there was something else earlier in the episode, and I'm trying to, I can't remember what it was that he well, they, said. Well, they, they, they keep using the slur to refer to them. They keep using that shortened form of the word as the slur. Yeah, that was used a lot in World War II. Um, yep. So the staff decide that they've got nothing left to lose, so why not go for the nuclear option? Mrs. Slocum wants to go to number 10 in protest. So number 10 is um, synecdoche for number 10 Downing Street, which is where the prime minister lives in London. Synecdoche, which is not a city in New York City, in New York not State. S- not, not Schenectady, but synecdoche. Synecdoche is something I learned on this show from Mr. Professor Jeff, um, a word that is a place, yet the place represents a concept. 
it right? could be. It, 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 that's one way. That's one use. That's of one it, right. bad definition, Brandon. <laughs> no, that, that's one possible use for it. Like when you say when you talk about the White House, but you really mean the United States federal government, um, or Broadway, which is a place, but you're talking about the theater industry. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 it's when it's when one concept is meant to represent the whole. Ah. Yeah. Okay. So they, they vote that they're going to have Captain Peacock be their spokesperson because he can charm when he wants to. No, she um, can charm when he wants to, Mrs. Slocum. I want to stop you, though, because if in 1983 we wanted to go uh, say we have this cool idea about something called a podcast, uh, President Reagan. Um, podcast? podcast? What is a podcast? Um, we couldn't just, like, people in 1983 or ever couldn't just like, we're just going to go and have an appointment with the White House and we're just going to go in and talk. I don't think that people in the UK had that direct access to the PM. They absolutely did not, right? They probably could get a lot closer to the front door of 10 Downing Street than we ever could to the front door of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Mm. But I don't think that they would be granted an audience with the Prime Minister unannounced, just showing up. You know, I will um, lean on our friends. I know we have some listeners in Scotland. Hello, listeners uh, in the UK. Can you tell us maybe, I wondered if in 1983 or the 80s, let's say, did people have the ability of like, if you're connected and know a lord or somebody, um, you can get an audience with the PM and like, this is our problem. This is what we want to talk. Almost like a constituent... Um, meeting like if you go like to an your, ombudsman yeah, yeah you can go to like in the states you can go to your congressperson and like say mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about this issue okay can you come next week sure and then you get like I did it once in Arkansas like um, yeah I mean, so I wonder if it was like that but yeah let us know in, in email or, or Facebook or Twitter uh, UK folks if that's was a this thing. a thing that people did yeah or is it just a silly TV show and they're like let's make them go to number 10 sure that's that's Could be my that guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, cut to, they're let into number 10. They're all dressed up. Mr. Harmon's dressed up. The ladies are all dressed up. The gentlemen are still wearing, Miss, you know, their, Mrs. Slocum their, has her, like, fur. Tiara, and her tiara yeah. on. That's great, right? <laughs> um, number 10 looks suspiciously like the boardroom, just painted white instead of that walnut color. Oh, Jeff. Yes. Right? Yes, it does. Um, so, they're let in by the secretary... Uh, who is played by John Collins, who is better known for playing Officer Fairfax on LOLO. Oh. So we got another crossover here, right? Um, and so they're talking about you know what they're going to say, and somehow along the way they've lost Mr. Humphreys. And so they're w- trying to figure out where he could possibly be, and there are two phones on the table, the green phone and the red phone, right? So the red phone is the one that would ring if there was an emergency, like there was imminent nuclear war or whatever. And of course, this is 1983, and Cold War is very definitely yep. happening. Absolutely. And so the green phone rings, and they all stare at it. Now, they, they, we've seen this gag before when they were up in the boardroom once before. And we also had, I th- believe, it, I don't know if it was Mr. Granger back then who said, well, when I go to the doctor's office, the phone rings to let you know the next patient is ready. And Mr. Rumble does a similar joke this time. Mrs. Slocum picks it up. Ronald who? <laughs> and then starts mouthing, it's Ronald Reagan. It's Ronald Reagan. Um, 
this is something that you brought up a couple of episodes previous where yeah. he does, she doesn't actually mention it, say his last name out loud. And wondering if there are any kind of libel, case, libel laws in the UK against um, famous either personalities or celebrities or politicians who were known. Yeah, it's weird. Last week I, I posited perhaps there was a law saying you can't bring up politicians' names on BBC comedies for some reason. And it happened again. Uh, Ronald Reagan. So Mrs. Slocum, <laughs> let's just stop here. Mrs. Slocum is on the phone with Ronald Reagan. Um, We're a big fan of you over here. We've watched all of your films. I've seen all your films. Can I just say on behalf of the department and of Britain, we all think you're wonderful. We do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, you don't. We do. And anyway, yeah, you're right. She doesn't say Ronald Reagan. They don't say Margaret Thatcher. We see her hand. It comes up on the closed captions. And, you know, that, that's what she's mouthing or whispering, but yeah. Yeah, and so we, I don't know why they don't say the names. And they say the names of Prince Charles and the Queen and Prince... Prince um, Philip. Philip, thank you. Uh, may he rest in peace. But, um, yeah, it's just weird. And, again, the UK people, let us know why that might be. It's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, Captain Peacock is burying his head in his hands because... Not only has Mrs. Slocum set back the Western Alliance 20 years, <laughs> but now they're going to get kicked out of 10 Downing Street. But it turns out that she did a good job. She charmed uh, Ronald Reagan, and they got the call routed to the correct person. Out of the side door, we see Mr. Humphreys shaking hands with uh, someone just extending their arm out in that very iron lady voice. Well, thank you very much thank for helping me choose so Apparently, he charmed Maggie by helping her choose a hat for question time in the house. <laughs> yeah. So, Mr. Humphrey used to do that. And he, right. he got lost in the crowd, and they didn't know where he was. And Next thing, he ended up in Maggie Thatcher's dressing room. And, of course, he's so personable that, sure, he'd become best friends with Maggie. The thing was, though, they were all mad at him because he didn't actually say, here's why we're here. This is our beef. We need you to help. He's instead helped and, like, sold her a pair of shoes. <laughs> and, and instead got, like, wa- laundry advice for his mother. Like, hey, well, if you're going to use canal water, use a packet of bold and don't touch SDP. That stands for Surf, Daz, and Purcell, right? What does so, that mean? So the, so the joke is Surf, Daz, and Purcell are all brands of laundry detergent. But the joke is SDP was a political party, the Social Democratic Party, which had reach, recently split off from Labour which was the opposing party of Margaret Thatcher. Ah, uh, okay, so that was a... Po- I see. The whole thing about that interaction felt very kind of social commentary to me. So, in, in the joke that you mentioned, Jeff, um, Mrs. Humphreys, Mr. Humphreys' mother... Uh, has had to take in washing because economy is so yeah, bad Yeah, because they, they don't have any money. So, if you studied the 80s UK English political history... Um, Margaret Thatcher kind of was like, let the poor starve, fuck the unions, and we'll just have to tighten our belts. In fact, you hear... Three million unemployed. Yeah, and in a country of not that many more million. Um, 
and you hear Mr. Rumbold kind of parrot Margaret Thatcher saying, we have to tighten our belts as a country. We'll get through this together. Well, the rich people were the ones who said that kind of thing. The people yep. who had no money and were going into the coal mines and the unions being busted, they weren't saying that. They were like, we have nothing. Anyway, so the fact that Miss, uh, Mrs. Humphreys has to go into the canal and take other people's washing there and get a packet of vim right bold bold sorry uh you know laundry detergent and like thwack her laundry against a boulder like it's the 19 like like it's the 1700s doing your laundry in the river and he says i have a problem my mother is doing this in the canal what should she do and instead of saying oh that's terrible i will work on some legislation to help your mother and the people of britain no she's like oh um, you know, here's some laundry tips because she's exactly. a woman. One, that's the kind of misogynist right there. It's a bit sexist. But two, she didn't give a fuck about like her financial situation. I'm just going right. to give you some laundry tips, which was a really cool kind of joke. But like, unless you knew the politics and the economy situation of the time, it was kind of less profound, I think. Yeah. Great social commentary there from, yeah. uh, from the writers. Uh, back at the store, they're defeated. The Japanese takeover is imminent. Hmm. And Mr. Rumble starts saying his goodbyes. And he says goodbye to everyone on a first-name basis. <gasps> the first time he's ever addressed them by their first names. And Miss Brahms and Miss Silicon were touched. He knew our names. He never used them, but he knew them. Aww. Except then, for Mr. Har- Harmon. I never knew your first name was Harry. It's not. It's Beverly, but it's a thought that counts. It's funny because that scene when, when he says, and you too, Harry, and he gives him this really cute little thumbs up. And I thought, his name isn't Harry. They, the, the writers must have made a mistake. And then it turns out, oh, no, my name's Beverly. And I thought, that's right. His name's Beverly. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for the continuity. We appreciate yes, it. Yes, yes. Uh, Miss Belfridge comes screaming from off camera from Mr. Rumble's office. Turns out that the monkey is sitting in his chair eating a banana. Yeah, and this is the scene I mentioned earlier in the show where um, she almost falls out of her dress in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two Japanese men come out of the lift asking for the manager's office. One of them doesn't speak English. One of them is the assistant that un- that is interpreting. Mm-hmm. And he's very terse with everyone. You know, you should be all be in your positions. You should be cleaning. You should be doing this. Captain Peacock starts to interject. Well, the manager's office is this way, but there's a monkey in there. I don't care for your commentary. Don't like. And then Captain Peacock steps back. So we hear a very heavy Japanese accent from um, the the person who's playing um, the interpreter, Mister Mr., the interpreter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not comedic, right? We don't get those L's and the R's comedically me- messed up or laid on purpose. It's just. A businessman whose language is first language is not English. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of a juxtaposition there from the rice and the eyes joke earlier. Um, after a brief time, they come back out. Mr. Yamoto will not buy Grace Brothers after all. Uh, we will. We refuse to be insulted like that. Oh, did they give you the raspberry? No, we understood that standard English welcome. <laughs> but getting a banana in the ear is an insult we cannot forgive. And then Mr. Yamoto is cleaning out his ear with his handkerchief. They give the raspberry. The Japanese give the raspberry back. And the episode ends. Well, you know, they, they kind of gleaned over uh, a joke that no one even had time to really process on the show. When we understand that's a traditional English 
greeting, the two finger salute, right. or blow raspberry. That's really funny because um, no, it's not. It's a very rude gesture. But right. they get it so often from English people that they think that's a, a, a that's, welcome. That's the welcome, right? Yeah, and because, you know, um, as evidenced by Captain Peacock, the way he reacts to being interacted with by that, that Japanese guy who doesn't speak English, um, he found them quite rude, right? And I suppose maybe in the time, if you compare the way that the typical dude from England would behave in a business setting and then a Japanese person, maybe there was a bit of culture shock that they found the Japanese way of communicating very directly yep. very uh, off-putting because British culture, especially I think back in the day, not, not as much now, but it was, it's very almost like, I, I was about to say almost Japanese in the way what you don't say is more important than what you do say. And I know that Japanese language has been sort of the way you communicate Japanese. That's something that I've been, been told. Like, what you don't say is more important than what you do say. Ironically, it just seems like, especially that character was just so brash and kind of well, I mean, barked orders. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, the, these, the, 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 the two Japanese, the Japanese uh, business that is looking to take them over, um, the two people that come in, they're not in charge yet. The deal hasn't been finalized, so Peacock doesn't have to take orders from them. But you, they, they give a little bit of deference to these people who may be their bosses one day, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I think it was a. a I think that it was set up as a culture clash that the, this person comes in. First of all, this foreigner, from their perspective, comes in barking orders at them, <gasps> and they they think they're going to be on their way out anyway. So why pay any attention? This episode, why was the monkey there? Why was it called monkey business? Was it really just for the setup at the end to get the banana in the ear? They couldn't figure out another way to piss off the Japanese takeover and save the store? That's a good question. I mean, the, the entire thing could have been called... Um, business business. Japanese business. Anything other than monkey business. Political business. I, I, I don't know. Like, it could have, like, they could have done more with number 10, but... Maggie, help us. Something. The this, this, this store on the moon. I, I don't know. But, like, I, I wonder if they did a survey and people like, like monkeys, people like animals. Maybe they had the costume already in the BBC. I don't right. know. Um, maybe they all really liked the, the actor who played the, the monkey. You know. I mean, granted, there was less monkey than I remember. I remember the... I, I feel like the monkey... Or maybe I'm confusing it with another episode or another show. I feel like it made a, a lot more of a, an appearance throughout the episode than just the two scenes that it was it's in. It's talked about, but not always seen. But not seen. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I think one of the things that also saved this episode for me was that there was conflict throughout the entire episode where the department was banded together. Right? It wasn't yeah, Slocum all, versus yeah. Spooner. It wasn't uh, Slocum versus Peacock. It was all of them versus the takeover. You know, I mean, if you're doing season nine, right, of a TV show, granted, there's only like six episodes a season. For American TV, that's nothing, right? We'll do Star Trek The Next Generation had 26 episodes in season one. Yeah. So I wonder if they've kind of gone all, they've, they're about to jump the shark, right? Um, because they've done all the interpersonal conflict they can do that's easy that makes sense that 
is funny. Now they have to have some external thing is the drama against all of the staff. I don't know, but... Well, yeah, I mean, they, I think they've explored all of the interpersonal conflicts that could take place in a store. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. one of the reasons why they've, oh, no, they've we've done run out all of the traveling. again. <laughs> right. You know, we've got to go to number 10. We've got to go to the roof. We've got to go to the all these other yeah, places exactly. yeah. to get out of the store. Mm. Um, luckily, next week is our last episode of season nine. And then we go into season 10 where we've got some real bangers uh, to gently take us out of the series. Oh, you mean we're going to Wales, you mean? <laughs> thank you, thank you. I want to take my wife back One to Wales. One last time, to Wales. To banger, to banger. To banger. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mr. Um, Tabs. That makes me want a cherry bakewell. We'll be talking about Lost and Found, and this is the episode where Tittles gets lost, and Mrs. Slocum thinks Mr. Humphreys is preparing to propose to her. I do not remember this at all. Probably this because I was in one. shock from the monkey from the episode before. But the, the, This is a decent episode. Yeah, no, I have to say, like, I think this episode was a lot better than I remembered it. Just because, yeah. I, I will say, I love seeing Maggie Thatcher's hand extending from the doorway. And then knowing the weird political stuff around it. This really makes me want to go see the Iron Lady again with um, that fabulous actress whose name escapes me. Um, but yeah, I think, I wonder, is this the last episode where we get a reference to Margaret Thatcher? That'll be interesting to see. Well, because she was PM it, for quite a long time. That's right. In season 10, we jump ahead to 1985, so she's still PM. Wow. Uh, so I'm, sure we're gonna get, I'm sure we're going to get one, or one more reference at least. But a president's reference and technically an arm of a PM in already being served people, that's not half shabby. Got to say, not too bad. Yeah. But if you want to give us some ideas or complain about there's not enough monkeys in episodes, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe the Monkey Society of Britain will be quite excited. Um, get in touch with us at Facebook, Twitter. You can email us at that does suit madam with an E at gmail.com. I wonder if we've ever gotten a misdirected email from that does suit madam with an E at gmail.com. We should totally get that email address <laughs> and redirect it. Cause could you imagine if anyone's actually been trying to write us there? W I T H A N E at G. No, our unanimous is much smarter than that, Jeff. Come on. Yeah. Uh, we also have the Peacock hotline six, six, two Peacock. That is six six two seven three two two six two five, and uh, we do love your voicemails. And if you're not in the states and you can't call, or Canada and Mexico, uh, you can record your audio message to us on your audio recording app on your smartphone, and email it, and that works just as well. And we also have our brand new bargain basement shop where you can grab some that does suit madam merchandise, show that you're a proud member of the unanimous. That is at I'm free. Dot threadless.com and the link is also on our Facebook page and I'll link it in the show notes as well. And with that, Mr. Jeffrey, you you've all done, done very, very well. well. Buy your animus, buy some merch, sell out. That does it, madam, is not endorsed by the BBC and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Feeding the animals can lead them to aggressively seek out food from people, sometimes resulting in injury.